1: Are you enjoying the single tracks podcast? Well, we could use your support. The small, but dedicated Singletracks tracks team works hard to share the mountain bike information that inspires epic adventures through this podcast, our worldwide database of trail maps and photos and daily news and reviews on the website. So consider becoming a monthly annual or lifetime pro supporter and enjoy ad free browsing on the website, free single track stickers in the mail, and discounts on merch for as little as three dollars per month go to singletracks.com support to sign up and to find out other ways you can help support our mission that's singletracks.com support thank you and happy trails hey everybody welcome to the single tracks podcast My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Chris Curry. Chris is a bike industry veteran with decades of experience in everything from retail and marketing to product design. His patented mountain bike suspension design, dubbed 3VO, is well-regarded and is currently being used by Jamis Bikes in their full suspension bike line. Thanks for joining us, Chris.
0: Oh, Thanks very much for having me, Jeff.
1: Well, you've been in the bike industry for quite some time. So tell us a little bit about your background.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's been been quite a while. I got my start officially in 1997. I started a bike shop, online bike shop, hmm. which was a novelty at the time.
1: Yeah. Wow. An online bike shop in 97.
0: Yes, sir. I uh, listen to a lot of marketing podcasts these, these days and I... I find myself feeling older and older as I (laughs) was talking about how they they started this exciting new uh, business in the early days of the internet and they actually had an e-commerce store in 2003 or 2005 (laughs) and I'm like wow yeah (laughs) but we had this idea it started from I was helping out at various bike shops and things like that I was I had a an odd job. I was an adjunct English professor. That was my background is all English. So always good to start an engineering (laughs) interview with uh, an English major. But my my background was English, and I was uh, teaching at a couple different colleges, which is not difficult by a lot of standards, but but a Mm -hmm. lot of running around, a lot of really long hours um, trying to make ends meet, and uh, had a friend at a bike shop say, Well, I, you know, he knew I was really into bikes. You want to help him run a bike shop? So I started working with him and uh, fun guy, ex supercross racer. So little seat of the pants as business operations go. And uh, got to see what you should do when you're running a bike shop and what you shouldn't do when you're running a bike shop. And uh, at the, in those early days, had some people say, You know, if you ever started a bike shop, that would, be, that would be really cool. I, I think you could, you know, you, you sort of get the consumer, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
0: take care of folks. And, and uh, so I ended up selling a RockShox Judy using the er- early days of MTBR. So shout out to Francis there uh, at MTBR. But uh, early days of MT- MTBR classifieds uh, sold a suspension fork to someone, I believe uh, he was in Singapore, and was completely blown away by this whole like internet thing uh, for the prospects of e-commerce, and so got really into the idea of an online bike shop, and um, and started that. Uh, that was called S- Speed Goat,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, that opened in 1997, and uh, was pretty successful. Again, there was no real internet commerce at the time. It's a novelty that I believe I had my own email address, uh, you know, an at speedgoat.com email address before I ever had Gmail yeah. or anything. Like yeah. I had to much later in life, I had to create a Gmail account. It was like, <laughs> but um,
1: yeah, you skipped over the hotmail thing and went right to Gmail.
0: I guess, yeah. Yeah. I just went right. So, uh, it was such an early time that we, we literally had, uh, uh, banks coming in um, when we were looking at what can we do you know, sales were really strong what can we do li- lines of credit or something like that we we had uh this this these two sort of bumbling banker guys even came in and said uh did this kind of good cop bad cop routine on me which was pretty funny and the one was like well i don't know ted i just don't know how i would feel about giving my credit card information to someone on the internet and uh <laughs> you know even back then i was like yeah i, I I think I think we're on to something, you know. And so that grew, and we specialized in custom built bikes, and um, which was a little bit unusual, you know. People think of that as this kind of everything commoditized, you know, Amazon style, uh, bad product information, no personal service, and you know, we 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 really were there for a lot of people that either had to travel very far to get to a quality bike shop or uh, just felt disenfranchised in some way. And there were a lot of them. And we, we we worked really hard to take care of them. A lot of long hours on the phone, a lot of emails. Um, and uh, I had this reputation for custom building bicycles. So you became this uh, uh, center for information. And uh, you could compare brands and things like that, because we were offering all the best brands. Mm-hmm. And uh, that became an excellent word of mouth kind of engine and, um, and, uh, the the business grew, but I had always had a love of, uh, motorcycles before bicycles and, and was just always really into the, uh, the design and the mechanics of everything and getting to play with all of these greatest bicycles in the universe at the time was a tremendous inspiration, you know, to, to get to, 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 work with the early Santa Cruz bikes and know those guys a little bit and talk to them. And, and Chris Cocalis, this, this, this predates pivot um, and predates even DW link technology, you know, when it was horse link Titus bikes and seeing the amount of attention to detail that Chris put into designing bikes and, and everything. I mean, there's, there's so many people, some known, some not as well known who have helped get us where we are. And uh huge inspiration. And so taking all of that in, I definitely um, developed a passion for the design and for solving problems, which is ultimately what all this is uh with, with suspension design. And um and that's what led to the uh the early desire to do it ourselves.
1: Yeah. Well, in 2004, I believe, you started developing this new mountain bike suspension platform. So what was sort of the need that you saw back then? What was like not being done or or did you what did you see as a way to improve the existing suspension designs?
0: Uh, It's funny because I'm going to uh, make it seem like I I come from a time before there was fire or the written (laughs) word. But uh, at the time some of the challenges we, we would laugh about them now, but some of the challenges were simply how to deal with this new thing called 29 inch wheels. Hmm. Most suspension designs couldn't accommodate the larger wheel size. They just simply weren't built for it. And yeah. you know, this was a time when 120 millimeters of travel was significant as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: If you had a bike with five or six inches of travel, that was considered, uh, it was your downhill bike. Um, and uh, so, to get any type of travel out of a 29er was uh, a task. And um, at at the time, I had uh, convinced Chris Kocalis, then of Titus Cycles, that uh, the world needed a 29-inch racer X.
2: Mm, yeah,
0: and 29ers were. I don't remember exactly when they appeared on the scene, you know, it, it, it came about, you, you'll, you'll remember how it came about though. It wasn't like, wham, all of a sudden they existed. It was, <laughs> you know, like, like many things in the industry, you, you, you hear of a friend who has this thing and that Marzoki kind of makes a fork and, right. uh, you know, and you, 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 get that to work and then nobody makes tires. So you find a tire that kind of works. Mm-hmm. IRC had the mythos there for a while and there, it was slim pickings, but it was, uh, there wasn't a lot going on for 29ers, and I fell in love with the 29-inch wheel like right from the start. And 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 part of that was the maybe a little bit of motorcycle background and stuff like that. It just felt properly scaled to me. Uh, I'm not overly tall; I'm about six feet tall, but it just suddenly felt so right. Uh, and my first 29er was a Vicious Cycles The Motivator uh, Carl, Carl at vicious would, uh, scold me if I didn't make sure I included the it's not just motivator, it's the motivator right. and, uh, you know, full, full rigid bike and just loved, uh, loved that bike to death and just loved the, the big wheels. But there, there weren't suspension bikes at the time, uh, four 29 inch wheels. And when there were, they were very short travel. So I convinced Chris to build me a, a, wasn't one off. I'm sure he built a couple more for himself and others, but a, a, a custom Titus racer X with 29 inch wheels. Mm-hmm. And, uh, at the time you really couldn't squeak that much travel out of them. So that was the real challenge. I think it had 80 millimeters of rear travel mm. or something like that. And, you know, the, the angles of the day, which, which by today's standards would be considered horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, and that thing was great, and and me being me, I I put uh, a really large front fork on it, uh, which was way bigger than what it was in, intended for. It was all mad scientist out, and uh, <laughs> and Chris Chris came out to 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 ride with me at one point. And was like, hey, <laughs> this is pretty cool, you know, with the slacker head tube angle at the time and some of that other stuff. So we, yeah, you know, it was just it was just developing things that, that rode a certain way that I that I wanted and um, filling these these voids that existed. And when it came to the suspension system, I just with with everything I rode and I was at that point riding some really great stuff that was the early days of the original VPP technology from Santa Cruz and you had some some excellent suspension systems starting to hit the market but there there wasn't anything that quite did, this thing that I was looking for, hmm. I couldn't really articulate. Didn't have the the uh, the tools, the skill set, uh, and education to articulate. But I wanted something out of the ride of my bikes that I wasn't getting. And like a lot of people, you know, that's 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 where where you start to get yourself into trouble. The whole like, just I, I got this vision, right? And I tried to work it out. And um, at the time, we were running the company, so we had a foundation uh to go by you know we had, we had great resources i had uh you know a phenomenal shop with all the tools available and everything so we just started thinking about this and tinkering and i actually uh i've come to realize if 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 anybody's listening to this and, and you're at a at a bike shop don't do this this is this is the wrong way to do things but you know in this day and age what you would do is you would say oh uh, I am a bike dealer, and I want to have more control over the product. Mm-hmm. So I will go to go to AliExpress or or, or call up a, a factory in China or find some way to get some open mold frame, mm-hmm. put my stickers on it, and there you go. Now I have a house brand. <laughs> right. I've never been that bright. So my attempt at house brand was completely redefine bicycle suspension as the world <laughs> knows it, uh, as like step one, you know. So. So I was like, well, we need to do our own bike and it has to have this suspension system and it has to be really innovative. And, um, and I, I had the vision and I couldn't quite articulate it. And then of all the, the tools I started to use, started teaching myself SolidWorks and some other things and, uh, all just an an attempt to figure out this, this, this ride that I, I was seeing, but, but couldn't quite articulate hired an engineering company. Uh, like so many like crazy adventures, this this engineering company in Pittsburgh. I was in on the East Coast at the time. I'm originally from near near Pittsburgh.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Hired an engineering company. Uh, unbeknownst to me, they were in the process of going out of business while they were <laughs> uh, taking care of me as a client.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I would I would show up, and uh, uh, it was a drive for me to get to their offices, and I would wait and wait, and then the owner would say, Ah. The, Doesn't look like he's coming in today. (laughs) I'm like, but, but, you know, their SolidWorks guy just wouldn't show up. And I'm like, well, boy, that's really not right of him, you know? So I would just kind of use his computer a little bit and like, do, do, you know, see what he'd been working on or what I had a little bit of Mm -hmm. access. If you've driven all the way down there and you're paying them, you know, the least they can do is let you see what they've been working on. Right. So in that roundabout way, taught myself enough SolidWorks uh, that, with an engineering uh, friend that I had at the time, learned enough SolidWorks to be to be completely dangerous and <laughs> started, you know, really putting some some flesh on the bones of the, these ideas that I had. Mm-hmm. But then one night, it sort of all came together for me, and at that point, I had a good bit of technology and and the skill to use it. But I ended up saying, well there's a certain thing I'm trying to do with axle path and and a certain thing I'm trying to achieve with the ride of the bike.
2: Yeah.
0: And I just cut little pieces of paper out (laughs) and it's just not, this is, this is, uh, not, I think how, how a lot of people would go about uh, designing an innovative suspension system, Mm -hmm. but it, uh, I was able to move the little swing arm on the little fake bicycle that I made
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, just there on, on the table at 2 in the morning or whatever when the kids had finally gone to sleep. And I, I could see it finally in my head. Oh, yeah, like this is what you're doing. And it was because of the larger 29-inch wheels. And it would be fair to say that I was, I was trying to create a system that was built around that wheel size or the need for that larger wheel size. Mm-hmm. versus what had come before which was all based on 26 inch wheels and and it's it's a tremendous difference because everything is really keyed on the center of the bottom bracket you know kind of the heart of the bike is dead center of the bottom bracket and with the 29 inch wheel you not only have a larger wheel diameter but you have what's called a more bottom bracket drop and for anybody out there that doesn't totally nerd out on bike geometry, that simply means that your your bottom bracket, the center of your 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 cranks around which everything rotates, is actually lower than the axle than your rear axle.
1: Right, which is a change from 26er.
0: It's a big change. It's lower than the 26 by a pretty considerable amount when when every millimeter counts. Mm-hmm. And one way to look at that is that's almost as if your suspension is partway through completely compressed <laughs> right from the start. Right. Um, because relative to the bottom bracket, it's already much higher. That had been the challenge with the 29ers in general. Hmm. And there were some cool ways uh, to approach that. What what uh, Niner was starting to do at the time with the early CVA and stuff. Th- these were all things that you know I, you knew you, you learn enough at a certain point to appreciate the work of others. You can say, "Aha, that's somebody trying to address this dilemma." Right. And so the you know the the two hours later, the answer to your question is it was all a desire to address the the unique challenges of new wheel sizes and, and how a suspension system could really do that and be able to articulate in, um, a variety of conditions. Like we had a East coast is known for rock gardens and we had, you know, rock gardens, like being out here on the West coast. Now, um, I got plenty of loam. I'm a very happy guy, but the, uh, uh the rock gardens are slightly different. And, and when, if for anybody who hasn't ridden on the East coast, you have these kind of, um, I've described it as kind of like medieval graveyard looking situation. <laughs> you know, like the, the rocks are like highly uncooperative, let's say. Right. And, uh, you know, a suspension system that could handle that, which is a relatively slow speed rock crawling sort of control affair, uh, and then also be highly capable at speed, uh, in corners and, and, and just, you know, serve all those purposes. That was kind of the, long list of criteria that it had to be able to do. And so that was, that was the motivation, have it work well and have it work with the bigger wheels.
1: Yeah. That's fascinating. You know, I mean, I guess to a lot of us, it it would seem like going from 26 inch wheels to, to 29 inch wheels, you just, kind of scale everything up you know make the tubes a little longer things are a little higher maybe they're in different places but yeah it's that's interesting to to understand that there's a whole lot more going on there and it's not as simple as just just making a bigger bike
0: right right it really changes everything and everything is interdependent you know which which even today is the number one challenge behind everything with the suspension design. You can optimize, you know, one particular variable mm-hmm. and great, you know, get got the numbers exactly where you want them and then oh, check your other numbers and you just roast all of them, you know. So yeah. Um, yep, it becomes a a, a it, it really did involve a kind of rewriting of the of the rules to to a degree mm-hmm. when that wheel size became so popular and i mean it, it wasn't even if it hadn't become popular i would have been designing a bike around 29 inch wheels i was totally obsessed with with 29 <laughs> you know to, to 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 exist at a time before 29 inch wheels and be riding 26 inch wheel bikes you know not to take anything away from the die hard 26 crowd out there you know i see you present you know but when you're crawling over rocks and stuff like that and and just trying to maintain speed in corners and everything it was uh to have 29 inch appear out of nowhere like that, uh, well, not nowhere, you know, shout out to Carl and vicious and, and, and Gary Fisher and, and, and the crew. But, uh, I I was so addicted to that, that I would have been trying to build better 29 inch bikes or do my little part to, to build a better 29 inch bike, whether they caught on or not.
1: Yeah. Well, what were some of the, the big roadblocks that you ran into along the way with 3VO? I mean, aside from working with an engineering company that <laughs> was going out of business and, you know, trying to fit all this in on the side and, and everything else you were doing, like what, what were some of the like design hurdles that you ran into along the way?
0: A lot of it was, it goes back to that question of balance that I mentioned. You know, you can optimize, uh, in a sense, I've been working on this for you know, all those years. <laughs> really, this is a, this is a, this is a much more than a decade. Has, has this been a constant source of you know late night activity or tinkering in the background? And and really, you, you solve for one variable and you, you introduce uh, a problem with another. So so it it really is a matter of just, just kind of putting it together from an optimization standpoint that that's like the philosophical theoretical challenges that you encounter the actual like mm-hmm. make it challenges yeah are a whole separate animal and those those in some ways are so much worse you, you know you can create the perfect creature on paper and a lot of armchair you know designers out there have made some really cool stuff getting it made is really difficult mm, yeah and uh figuring out how, how best to, to to go about that is is really difficult and for me I was too busy with the with the e-commerce uh, store and everything to to really. I had the patent. That was actually comical. I don't know whether there's some special legal reason why nobody talks about patents, but I'll be stupid enough to go ahead and talk about it. It was a, it's kind of a funny story because I submitted the patent. Worked with a lawyer uh, to to patent the technology, and to my thinking, I've only learned more since it's actually like a eminently patentable technology. It's, it's not, it's, it's pretty easy to articulate what's unique about it. You you can do so pretty directly and physically unlike a lot of like more esoteric, you know, numbers and nuances and stuff. And, um, but at the time, you know, I'm doing this for the first time and I'm working with this lawyer and, you know, the meter's running and you're trying to get everything just right. And anybody that, you know, has gone through this, it's, it's never, never pleasant. But I go through all this and I and I submit it, and the uh, uh, the patent comes back. I, I get a I get a communication after a, a series of months or whatever, it takes various amounts of time, and uh, they said, "Well, we can grant these portions of the patent, but we can't grant these other portions of the patent because there's there's prior art." Hmm. And I and it was one of those you know sad trombone like wah wah kind of moments. I had done. Beyond just mere hours, you know, it was like you know several double digits, potentially triple digit hours of research, you know, trying to count for everything. And most of it was known. You know, I know my history. I I I know Mert. You know, I know everything Greeny and Santa Cruz did and and Weagle, and you know, just doing all this all this research. But I looked at what they what they what they cited, and I realized wow, a lot of it, like, you tend to think that anybody who looks at your patent is going to be as into it as you are and as knowledgeable as you are. And, like, one of the things that they said that they took issue with was completely different. In fact, it turned out nothing was anything like what I was doing. I mean, it was it was, like, radically different. Yeah. You know, those of us who were unified rear triangle bikes, where, like, the whole drivetrain was attached to the rear axle, you know, like they didn't, they didn't have a suspension system like today's bikes, like the old Trek Y bikes and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the whole drivetrain went up and down, uh, when you hit stuff, that was one of them, Oh wow! you know, where they, were, and I was like, Oh, well, uh, it's definitely not that, you know, and, <laughs> and then I started unpack it and it turns out that with a few minor revisions, everything was able to be granted so the initial alarm of like, Oh, you know, wow, there's, 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 there's stuff that I I didn't account for. It was stuff that I had accounted for, but I had dismissed right away because it was, wasn't even close. Right. So, so that was, uh, in 2010, that was, that was granted in, in full and the challenge then became, uh, the manufacturing and I, I didn't do anything with it right away. I was pretty busy with everything else that was going on. And, um, at the time right around that time uh the first uh yeti showed up the first yeti uh switch infinity Mm -hmm. bike showed up and that wasn't uh it wasn't the same as what i had going on but it was the first thing that kind of was even in the ballpark yeah and that was really a shot across the bow where i was like wow i really need to do something with this i've put all this time and energy into this and i've just put it on the shelf and uh and at that point, I had uh, I'd sold my business and I'd, I'd uh, moved away from it, and and I uh, the timing just worked out. I, f- I finally had time to just look at it and say, okay, I got to get serious about a proof of concept bike and actually turn this thing into something physical that I can ride.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then began that process. And uh, and that's I don't even know where to begin to tell you the challenges of of that. You know, there's probably a, a lot of people out there who would love to make their own bicycle and there's the truly gifted among us who actually do, you know, pick up the torch and, and, and make it happen. And I have just mad, mad respect for, for those people, but I wanted to figure out ways to, to potentially set up, set the scene for if you wanted to go into production or something like that, you know, what, what could you do? Can you get some connections made?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I've known some people in the industry and stuff like that. So I started talking to a friend in, In Taiwan and looking at working with a factory there. And I I, I looked at places in the US first, because that would have been so much easier. And a lot of people don't realize a lot of people think you go overseas to save money. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: But in fact, you know, there are just entire cities there dedicated to making bicycles occur you know, and so,
1: right. Yeah. They have the expertise there.
0: And beyond that, they can walk across the street and get that, you know, cable guide that, that they don't have, you know, and it's just, it's all of the, everything is, I don't want to say frictionless, but but it's just built for making bicycles in, in certain areas. And, and so, whereas a lot of that, I mean, just recently, I, I, I actually went to an engineering place near my house thinking like, Cause I, 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 am I'm always working on new versions of this, this thing and stuff. And just, just for kind of kicks, I was like, what if you could be fabricating this thing like right here in the U S you know, of all, you know, domestic materials and all that other stuff, like what would, what would that look like? And I expected, you know, they're going to come back to me with a number that's, you know, relatively terrifying and and I'll, I'll be ready for it, (laughs) but it was terrifying on a magnitude that, you know, I mean, I could invent like a flying car or something for that. So, so I was like, uh, you know, but by comparison, I ended up working with a friend and we did some, we did a dozen early prototypes of the the suspension system. And that, that is a really unique experience to have worked on something for at that point, so many years Mm -hmm. and finally get it, uh, in your hands, in the garage, taking it out of a box, uh, building it up. And that first time you put a foot on the pedal of this thing that you'd put so much time into
2: yeah.
1: uh,
0: that, that's, that's somewhat indescribable.
1: I mean, I bet you're excited, but also nervous. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> you it, sit on it and you're like, Nope, this is all wrong.
0: Absolutely. And, and in fact, it's, it's funny because the first version that showed up, I, d- I did a really rudimentary version that that, it, that was different from what uh, Jameis is using now with the, mm-hmm. the official three, 3BO. This was a slightly different version that was uh, very crude by comparison, but it was there to test certain theories and stuff like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I knew the leverage rates were going to be uh, off is going to be really high, you know, start with a, with a, with a really high leverage. Uh, the curve was going to be extreme and it was going to start really high. So it'd be like really, really supple at first and then ramp up. And it was pretty extreme. And so I was prepared for certain things to like, not be quite dialed and have to figure that out. But I was so emotionally invested in it
2: Mm -hmm.
0: that I got on the bike. I pumped up the shock to what I would normally pump my shock up to. Uh, I rode it to the end of my driveway, which is not one of those, you know, wild uh, country estate meandering driveways. It's a driveway, driveway that's like two cars long, and was like, I can't even. Like I, I, I turned around, I went in, and I hadn't like taken a nap in the daytime since I was like seven, <laughs> but I was just so emotionally drained from that trip down the driveway. <laughs> wow. I just like kind of passed out and I'm like, I, I, I you know, I told myself I'm, I'm, I'm uh, like a, I don't know, like a weaponized pessimist, you know, I've always been like really, really hard on myself, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and that's, that's kind of led to, to positive things. Ultimately it's like the opposite of the power of positive thinking, you know, I'm like always oh, like thinking what's the worst that could happen and how can I make it not be that? Yeah. And, uh, so I told myself, oh, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I, and I went and I just passed out. And I and I woke up later, and I was managing some some stuff for some marketing stuff for a big e-commerce company out here. At this point, I'm I'm out here on the West Coast, and so I took it to work with me. And this was a pretty big company, and there were a bunch of bunch of hardcore bike nerds there. And I took it to work with me, and I just kind of was like here, and I just gave this prototype frame to the to these dudes. And it was lunchtime, right? So there's just like guys in a food truck, and just like a bunch of you know hardcore bike people all over the place. And, uh, and, 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 and also they were guys who were a lot lighter than I was. You know, I was probably 200 pounds at the time or whatever. And, and, uh, and, and they're, they you know, guys are like 140, So a whole different animal. If you're over, uh, leverage rated out, you know, on the bike. So they're coming back to me and they're like, that thing's incredible. Like you built that. How'd you do, it? you know, what's you, what's you <laughs> and I'm like, um. Okay, and I'm just kind of taking the data, and they're like, "That thing pedals—that that's insane!" Like, because it was 160 millimeters of travel or whatever. So there was some really positive reports coming back on the pedaling, and I'm like, "Okay, you know, step one, uh, you know, uh, whatever, you know, lose 30 pounds or whatever." What we ended up doing, uh, but then also, uh, uh, wait a minute, you know, it, it is working. Like it's supposed to work. Yeah. Like it's 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 got the the, the basics are there and uh and then refined it you know with a series of changes back and forth with with my friend and and then at that point instead of two frames we we uh, the first little batch of the early early prototype was just two frames we made a dozen and at that point it was it was pretty much dialed i mean th- there've been changes made for Jamus to optimize for for their needs but what they have is essentially what prototype number two
1: was wow cool well so i want to ask you some sort of general suspension questions um, and then also sort of hear how this applies to 3vo so what what's meant by the term instant center when it comes to suspension design and and how did you think about it in terms of designing 3vo
0: sure instant center is uh understood as the the you can think about it as the point around which the uh, swing arm uh, or the, the rear axle, the, the point around which it pivots. So on a single pivot bike, um, like the bike's Orange makes or your classic Santa Cruz, super light, stuff like that, you have swing arm that's bolted to the, to the front triangle of the bike in just one fixed position. And so that's very easy. That's your instant center. Um, your swing arm articulates up and down around that center. It gets more complicated on multi-link bikes, um, including 3BO and uh, the DW bikes, uh, the Yeti bikes, the Santa Cruz bikes, most of what you see out there these days. Even the horse-link bikes, uh, they don't appear that way, but they, they also are multi-link bikes like that. And so in those, you you have to sort of discover the instant center because it's not as obvious as a bolt. It exists, by you can identify it by drawing uh, hypothetical lines through your uh, linkages so it's easier to, vi- to visualize but if you take your 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 link will have a point at which it pivotally connects to your swing arm and then it connects to your mainframe mm-hmm. um, and usually you'll have a couple of those links and if you were to uh, draw lines right through those bolt holes you know one pivot to the next and you would you will find you will find a place where the the lines coming from your upper link will intersect with the line coming through your, your lower link. And that is your instant center. Um, so when people see the word virtual, uh, that, that's, that essentially comes from not having that fixed pivot point, you know, Right. Santa Cruz takes us to school here. They're a great lesson because, you know, they started with single pivot bikes. So that, that didn't have anything virtual about it. You know, that is, that bolt is located, and then when they went to the VPP, virtual was uh, made sense uh, to include in the title because it's no longer a fixed physical bolt through the frame somewhere. It's a it's a uh, uh, an invisible point in space, but uh, but that's your instant center, and it dictates so much. It, it's 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 a reference point. I mean, it's one of many reference points, but. Okay. Um, it's, it's the foundational reference point for a lot of the kinematics of the bicycle, the anti-squat, and uh, in particular, and a lot of the other characteristics that di- dictate how the bike rides.
1: Okay. So is there like a, an instant center that is optimal or that's better than a different position for an instant center?
0: There, there's kind of a continuum of acceptable zones I guess is the best way to okay. put it because they they if you look at the instant center across a wide variety of bicycles you'll see them all over the place uh, not um, we're not talking just a, a difference in millimeters here we're talking a difference in uh, you know meters feet yards uh, you know some project it very far out in front of the bicycle so if you were to draw a line you're, you're uh, uh, your, uh, horse link bikes, um, the, the specialized most known for the horse link, but a, a lot of the, uh, the, the bikes that use the kind of horse link system, kind of classic, uh, derived from AMP research and, and some of that stuff in the early days, they, they often project a pivot, uh, an instant center point that's out uh, far in front of the bicycle. Whereas a lot of the more kind of short dual link bikes, Uh, including the Yetis and the Santa Cruzes, et cetera, it's, it's much more, uh, it's, it's closer to the bottom bracket. Okay. And, uh, the thing that's, you know, notable about the instant center is unlike on a single pivot bike, like a, like an orange or a Santa Cruz, where it's a fixed point in space, uh, the instant center, uh, it, it migrates or it moves around because as the, as those links rotate, that point in space is, is moving. Right. So that, that's the thing that really leads to the tunability and things like that, you know, and there's, there's a lot of great stuff that a single pivot bike can do. You can do, you can make a really nice single pivot bike, but what it can't ever be is anything other than a single pivot bike. So, yeah. you you know, that is your pivot point and and you got to live with it and, and you can do cool stuff where you, you got linkages in there controlling how quickly you compress the shock and, uh, you know, the, the leverage uh, ratios and stuff like that. Like what, what evil's up to. But the uh, uh, you know a single pivot from from uh, from an axle path and instant center standpoint, you you do have that fixed position to work with. Whereas with the multi-link bikes, how it changes as the wheel compresses, as the uh, suspension compresses, uh, can ch- change, and so you can tune it for uh, behavior across the the range of compression.
1: Okay. So, yeah, you mentioned rear axle path. How does that affect the ride feel and performance?
0: It's tough to tease it out individually. Um, generally, a, a more rearward axle path is is an advantage for those situations where uh, square edged hits and things like that, um, where you your wheel naturally wants to move rearward in, in order to offer minimum you know, resistance to the terrain. But I think it's, it's probably most instructive to kind of think about it, not so much in terms of what does axle path do, but when does axle path do it? <laughs> it's, it's kind of a way to put it. But every axle path is, is somewhat similar. They all trace an arc you know, uh, from, from that kind of instant center position. But when they are at their most rearward, uh, will have an effect on things. And, and this gets super complicated and I try to keep it, keep it light and, <laughs> and, 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 not overly, uh, overly dork it out, but the, yes, um, please. <laughs> but the, I mean, the easy, the easy way to think about it is you're, and a lot of people have done this. There's a ton of stuff you can, you can look up, you know, on, on, online, you guys have covered a lot of cool stuff with it too. Uh um, the uh the chain is is a fixed point uh at least the the chain is it is it exists from the top of your rear uh cassette cog to the top of your chain ring
2: Mm
0: uh that's a fixed point and that's uh that's metal and that's designed to propel your bicycle so that thing is not stretching or flexing in in any way that is that is a fixed drive transmission similar to anything anything else so that it being a uh, wanting to remain constant is affected by the fact that your axle uh, the distance f- from your the center of your your bottom bracket where your your chain ring is driven to your rear axle that varies so if you were to have a bike that just completely had a rearward axle path where you know if you were to put that pivot all the way up by your by your seat post you know so that 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 wheel would go way backward when you hit a bump
1: Mm -hmm. yeah
0: you would be tugging the heck out of the chain okay and um you know the higher you put that pivot the more rearward and axle path you would have but then you would have all these other variables as well Mm -hmm. so just to take that extreme example you know there's something desirable about a rearward axle path but there are also plenty of undesirable things about a rearward axle path
1: okay yeah
0: so when when your axle is is rearward versus when it starts to move back toward the front of the bike and how you balance that with everything else that's going on with the the leverage ratio and the uh anti-squat and uh and all the other characteristics of the bike it's it's all a giant balancing
1: act mm, yeah yeah, now, now I understand why you had to get out the paper and, you know, <laughs> play yeah. with it on the table and really understand like how all these things work together and how they affect one another.
0: It ended up at the time it was kind of a clear your head type thing because you – you uh, uh, there's this movie searching for Bobby Fischer in the scene where he just like wipes all the chess pieces off of the mm-hmm. board, uh, you know. And it's like, okay, now, now what would you do? You know, now what's your move, you know, see it. And, and it just kind of helped to be like, nah, just kind of like raw instinct. What is it you want this thing to do? How do you want it to articulate?
1: Yeah.
0: And you kind of figure out the the rest from there. But uh, yeah, it's really been, you never stop refining. It's a constant process. I, I kind of love that part of it. You know, there's some cheesy philosophical journey, not the destination thing, uh, here, but, you know, new things are happening all the time and people's tastes are changing. Um, what they look for in a bicycle is changing. So it's, it's that part of it is really rewarding and a lot of fun just to keep finding ways to make it better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's so interesting too, that, I mean, bicycles seem like, these really simple mechanical systems and I mean they've been around forever and yet even as riders I think most of us recognize like bikes keep getting better and better every year and seemingly really quickly too I mean this evolution you know every year stuff is is better and they find ways to improve them and optimize them and um, yeah I mean it's thanks to (laughs) obsessives like yourself that you know, keep looking at this and saying, how can we do this better? How can we improve it?
2: There's just
0: something about the bicycle, right? It's kind of this weird primordial currency, you know, like you'll, you'll, you'll look at like website design sites and stuff like that. And it's like, we're a bicycle shop or there's like the bicycle, oh, right. <laughs> like, like, you know, thing that is this like number one consumer product is just this example of things. And, yeah. and on the one hand, it hasn't changed any, it's, it's still the basic, know same old creature it's always been and on the other hand it's mutated a billion times over you know it's augmented with motors now it's it's got hydraulic systems on board it's got electronic systems on board it's got you know nasa level uh technology uh with suspension uh, uh, theory and equipment and stuff like that so it's simultaneously uh this like foundational building block, like the simplest thing you could possibly have. And also like the most complicated <laughs> thing of ours. The so they're just, they're they're just super cool that way.
1: So yeah. What sort of opportunities or, or tweaks or improvements do you see for 3VO in the future? What are the, the things you're looking at or the things maybe even that you're not happy with and, and that you hope maybe you have a solution for?
0: A lot of it is tuning around intended use. You know, I think, uh, in addition to the evolution of bicycles in general, the, the the knowledge of riders has, I think, recently, more recently, in the last five years more than ever, maybe it just feels this way, has, has increased as well. So I, I think… And it remains to be seen because there's the pandemic effect of a ton of people entering the sport now, which is, which is also really interesting. You have a lot of riders on the trail. I don't know if you're, I'm seeing, you know, a ton of new riders on, on for help by me. And, um, you know, that's going to have its own separate, interesting dynamic, but among the people who are, uh, whatever we want to consider them enthusiasts or, or, you know, just, just serious, dedicated, uh, riders who put a lot of time in on on mountain bikes in particular their level of understanding of what's going on with their bicycle is i I feel higher than it's ever been and and they know i mean they don't there's a lot of things that that they don't know and you know a lot of people in the industry you know find it frustrating well you know the consumer doesn't know this the consumer doesn't consumer knows a hell of a lot and and there's generally a sense of the type of ride characteristics that somebody's looking for in a bicycle. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I think, you know, where I am, the, the, the most interesting challenge really is you can make a fantastic bike for everybody and you can make a a truly extraordinary bike for a smaller group of people. You know, so (laughs) how how do you balance these, these, these things? Because, um, there are different ways to approach it. You can try to make like adjustable bikes that can do this and do that. But then there's always something lacking there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say, it sounds like you're a big fan of flip chips.
0: F- flip chips can be cool. And we did one on the, on the James portal F- flip chips can be cool, but then there's also something I I I'm, I'm almost 50, 50 <laughs> on that really. Cause I'm also one of these like, uh, I don't know what you would consider it, like highly monogamous bike dudes. You know what I mean? Like I, I have a bunch of bikes in the garage and whatever, but I'll tend to just like, man, I'll, you know, got got to ride to the to the you know somewhere to pick up my car at the at the shop or something mm-hmm. like that. I take the mountain bike. Like I'm I'm riding the same bike, you yeah. know, that I would to, to go you know ride trails. So a lot of times I just, I just spend time on that one bike. So I, I demand it to be able to just do everything
1: right, right,
0: really well. But you know, for specific purposes, you can really fine tune that balance. You know, what does somebody want to do with with this bike, and how do you make it? It sort of expands outward from that core capability, right? Like you you got to have a bike that descends really well, that, that that that's you know supple and 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 has the ride that lets people do more than they could normally do. Is mm-hmm. kind of the easy barometer, you know, yeah. if you faster or however you define success. You know, you're more comfortable. You feel more in control. You are faster. That's what you want, and then that's what we tried to do with with three bo. And then from there, you start to look at like, okay, well, what would that look like to somebody who is racing nonstop? You know, that, that that's a different, a slightly different set of uh, of of needs and criteria. And 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 it's really where we all are in the industry right now is that person who wants that longer travel enduro capable bike, but will m- maybe never you know race an official enduro. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that's not meritless, you know. They want a certain capability, so they want to be able to, to, to descend something that's fun as as can be to descend, mm-hmm. but they don't feel like uh, they don't quite feel as as uh, terrified as all of us used to on our, (laughs) you know, full rigid bikes. Right. So, you know, how, how do you, how do you balance all of those things? So the same way that the suspension is a matter of balance, the consumer is a matter of
2: balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And and I think that's really where the opportunity is, is, is that, that fine tuning and, you know, some of it involves adjustability, but a lot of it involves just, um, clearly defining what, what you're trying to do with the bike and the design.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Well, outside of suspension, are there other design projects that you're exploring or maybe just kind of turning over in your head right now? Are there other kind of opportunities, uh, within mountain bikes?
0: There's a a lot of opportunities for really cool stuff right now, but, but for, for me, I, I, there's only, uh, there's only so many hours in the day and so suspension and, and, and my, the day job keeps me, keeps me hopping pretty, pretty good with, uh, with, the, with, I do a lot of marketing you know, stuff and everything with stands, no tubes. And, um, so you get to see that side of it, which in and of itself is its own ecosystem and world, you know, just, just tires and rims and, and, and tubeless sealant and everything is a fascinating, you know, completely separate universe. Um, suspension is expansive enough where I've never felt the need to say like today I build a dropper post, you know, it's
2: like, <laughs> <Sure>.
0: <laughs> nah, I'm,
1: I'm good. Yeah.
0: Uh, you, once you're down to that, what three, you know, three, four hours of sleep a night, you're like, you're, you're, you're as innovative as you feel you need to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you spent so long on this particular project too. I mean, did you learn anything or, or does that, are you hesitant to kind of jump into that again? Or, or do you think you learned enough? Where you're like, okay, I could do this again, and, and you know, maybe take it in a different direction.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I feel like you're always, in some ways, every time you sort of turn on the computer or you know, pick up the blank piece of paper, you're you're starting over. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're lucky, you bring a little more high caliber experience than than you did the last time,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but each each thing is a is a bit of a blank slate and um consumer tastes change and the the demands change for the individual application but i think one of the coolest things about it is that um when you really immerse yourself in this in this stuff and you kind of live and breathe it and it's your passion for for a long time you're constantly unlocking things it has to be i don't have the the uh the, the the chops to comment on you know what the, uh, the, the like the high level mathematician like the math theory people mm-hmm. you, know, like, you know like you dedicate your whole life to trying to find then the pie and all that so, you right. know that, that stuff. like i can't begin to understand what those people's lives are like but that whole like journey not destination again thing where it, it's it's you're never gonna want to stop. There's always something that addresses something and you're always discovering things inside what you've already done.
1: Yeah.
0: That are little mini revelations, which is really the coolest thing at all. Like, oh my gosh, if I just do this, you know, and I, it just happened recently for me because you're always working on, you know, the new version of this and the new version of that. And, and, and you discover these things that, uh, you, through trying to balance everything, um, for me, I, it's probably different for everybody. For me, it's a series of like, okay, I managed to get the absolute perfect number. I always wanted on this thing. Now I dare you to get the, keep that and get the perfect number on this other thing. You
2: know, so you got the
0: perfect anti-squat exactly where you want it doing what you want. Now, what about anti-rise, which is like a whole other world? Like, how do you get the perfect number on that? And, um, and it's a lot of trial in there and it's, it's a lot of figuring out. It's just a lot of time. But in the process of doing that, you, you, you discover these patterns and everything. And that's just super rewarding, you know, and it's in its own way to, to, to figure those things out. It's, it's kind of little revelations here and there.
1: Right. Yeah. And I guess that's, that's in the name of your design too, right? It's all about optimizing those variables and, and finding, you know, get one where you want it. And then the other one is going to be out of whack until you can optimize that one. Right.
0: Right. That was, um. That was a case of let the let the marketing uh, me drive for a little bit. And like, you know what cool, numbers and letters. And and you know what's trademarkable? Numbers and letters. Because it's really hard. Like, you know, everything's taken. Uh, it's really hard to name names and stuff. And it's like, well, what letters and numbers look cool together? And then, well, there you go. Now you've set the challenge for yourself, marketing guy. And I'll switch over to the other side <laughs> of your brain and figure out what the hell to do with that. And it's like, ah, you know, it's uh, it really is about optimizing variables. And so you know, in the case of the the three VO, that's really what you're, what you're kind of going for is just drawing attention
1: to that balancing
0: act. It's, it's not magic. It's just a matter of like hard work and long hours and, and balancing things to get that sort of characteristic.
1: Yeah. Well, the last question I want to ask you is what do you think is the most annoying thing about mountain bikes at the moment?
0: I, th- the, uh, I think the 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 approved answer is you're supposed to say standards <laughs> uh that's you know we, we all we all struggle with uh with that but i you know boy these are these are let's acknowledge outside of the world of bicycles these are some tough times right now right uh, i'm out here in vancouver washington where my air quality is currently i don't want to check right now yeah um you know we got we got wildfires, we got general chaos, uh and 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 disarray in many areas. And um I am not normally like super captain optimist, but I but I, I gotta say, one of the nice things is that there's a lot that's really cool about mountain bikes right yeah. now. You know, this is this is everybody, you know, acts like it's the golden age, but like, you know, those of us have been doing this for a really long time and have, you know, carried our bike home when the fork snapped off and mm-hmm. you know, all these all these other things, like Today's bikes are just incredible. It's it's it is you know genuinely really tough to 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 not get a bike you can enjoy
2: a lot. Yeah. Uh,
0: So I you know it's it's not often you find an opportunity to 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 stress the 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 positive, but you know let's take a second to acknowledge that it's just really good. Yeah. There's stuff out there right now is is really good, and you can have a lot of fun uh, on the mountain bike. I think probably. The uh, the, you know, there are plenty of nits to pick and 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 plenty of, of, of little things. I, I think the uh, uh, there, there is a bit of a uh, lack of uh, unity with 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 some of the stuff that that's probably like the deeper answer around standards. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a a uh, a lack of um just a lack of unity and, and willingness to work together,
1: Yeah, uh, cooperation.
0: Yeah. And, 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 I mean, it's not necessarily, a, a pointing fingers and, 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 blame and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's largely, there is a positive side of it is the bicycles are so innovative that you're, you know, you do have people constantly trying to push the envelope and trying mm-hmm. to do, you know, things things that are different. It's just that at scale, that stuff gets to be a drag, you right. know, it's a drag for the, for, 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 us, you know, for the riders, for the consumers, you buy something and then, oh geez, you know, now my, <laughs> you know, this won't fit that. And that's, that's a, that's a pain. And it's, you know, that's always been with us to, to some degree, but some type of a little more coherency around that would, would, would make all our lives uh, a little better. And, you know, with the, with the, with the contact points and like, like the key points where you have to switch out parts and stuff like that. You know, you don't want to stifle innovation, but a little consistency there would would certainly help out the person who's paying cash money for these products.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the price that I guess we all pay for this innovation. And yeah, I mean, largely it's a it's a really positive note to end on to to say, you know, bikes are awesome right now and and there's a lot worse things we could be talking about and and experiencing so yeah thank you for taking the time and and for yeah walking us through sort of how you did this how you came up with 3 VO and and what you've done uh in the industry so thanks
0: no problem great talking to you thanks very much
1: well that's all we've got this week we'll talk to you again next week